At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> this seems like a pretty simple subject, doesn't it? Subject of mercy. And yet I'm not sure that, that we actually uh, comprehend what is, what is meant even by this text. Notice that he, he quotes Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. And he's saying, uh, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. We, we look at this and we wonder, well, who's he talking about? We look, look at uh, what David did. David went to um, Ahimelech, the priest, who was in charge of the daily bread that was placed on the altar for the priest only. It was fresh. And uh, when David came and was hungry, Ahimelech gave him the bread. Now, was Jesus talking about David's mercy or Ahimelech's mercy or your mercy? How you feel about it? Now, I think we all understand what mercy is. Basically, mercy is, uh, is that quality of compassion and understanding and reaction that comes when someone we know has reached the end of their ability to perform something by themselves. Right? So we reach down and help them, and that's mercy. When they reach the point where they can't do any more themselves. Well, here David was. He, he, he couldn't go any further, and so Ahimelech... Now, the point that Jesus is making is, don't blame Ahimelech for what he did, because Ahimelech is showing mercy. Well, you say, he's breaking the law. Well, of course, the law was not designed put a burden on people. The law was designed to relieve that burden. And then, then he, uh, he mentions the priest that, that uh, performed the circumcision on an eight-day-old child that must be done according to God's law. And so some people may be looking at that priest and saying he shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath day because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And that's what they accused Jesus of also, you know, when he healed people on the Sabbath, they were saying he shouldn't do that. But basically what Jesus was doing is what the priests were doing. They were at the point that they couldn't do otherwise unless they denied the compassion they felt in their heart toward the one who was in desperate circumstances. Does that sound right? Let me give you another illustration. Because we have, we have a couple of these examples in the New Testament of uh, mercy that sometimes we have a hard time comprehending. What Jesus is doing is teaching me how to have mercy, basically. He's not trying to justify what somebody else did. He's, he's teaching me how I should have mercy. Okay, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, 
It says, as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. Now Matthew's name is also Levi. He was sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. So Matthew rose up and followed him. Came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Okay, well, what was Jesus supposed to do? What was Matthew supposed to do? Here were people in his house that were publicans and sinners and rubbing elbows with those who were of what we call the elite, those who should have been in a caste system that were above the riffraff of this world. Okay? And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why, are you, why is your master eating with publicans and sinners? Remember that the, uh, the Jewish concept of a publican and a sinner was someone who's way below their station in life. And as a matter of fact, so far below that if they touched anything that they were going to eat, put in their mouth, they couldn't do it. They'd have to wash it seven times and go through a series of purification and make that person feel like they're dirty <laughs> themselves. And so they're saying, why is, why is your master eating with these people? And uh, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. This is the second time. These are, these are two times in the New Testament that Hosea 6, 6 are quoted by Jesus or referred to by Jesus. He said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right. So we have Jesus referring to the fact that these people were allowing, that is, Matthew, Levi, and his company were allowing people to rub elbows with the sinless one, the one who was above sinners. What he was saying, basically, when, when, he invited, when Matthew invited everybody in was, he said, come socialize with us. Be a, be a part of our group. Have you ever been separated from a group that didn't want you didn't want you around, looked down upon you like maybe you, you shouldn't be in the same room with me. You certainly shouldn't be at the same table with me. Shouldn't eat with me because you're not in my station of life. Well, he, he's telling them then that, that this social stigma should not have been placed upon these people because they were looking for salvation. The sinner, he's saying... It's not, the, it's not the righteous that need me, it's a, it's a sinner. And you know, every time Jesus healed someone, he was healing someone who had reached the limit of their ability to, to uh, contain the situation. When, they, when, a, when a blind person was brought to Jesus... That person was brought by someone who was a caretaker. And they had absolutely reached the end of their ability to take care of the situation. They couldn't do any more. It's not like they hadn't tried. It's not like they were sitting right at home not doing anything. They were, they were ministering to these people. When the leper came to Jesus, it wasn't because he, he wanted to be idle and separated from everybody. Is because he couldn't do otherwise. When he came to Jesus, he was in a state of desperation. And Jesus healed them. So Jesus had compassion. Jesus had mercy. 
We don't, we don't deny that, do we? When he looked at these people, here was a woman. He passed through a crowd one time. You can find the account in Luke chapter 8. He passed through a crowd one time on his way to raise a ruler's daughter. Okay? Mission. Here's a, here's a mission important. And here was a woman who had dead 12 years when she's been bleeding and couldn't stop the stench of blood. And it said she had tried, she had spent her living on physicians. It's not like she just laid around and didn't care and let everybody take care of her. What she was doing, she did everything she could and she reached the limit of her ability to take care of her problem. And Jesus healed her. That, my friend, is mercy. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about mercy. I know that God is merciful. You know that too. His mercy extends toward thousands. So when God has mercy, He has mercy on people that He has created, on His creation. So in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, Moses said, God keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now listen, though. It's not that we're saying that God is saying, Hey, I understand you're a sinner. Don't worry about it. I have mercy. You follow what I'm saying? You have to stay with, stay with my thread of thought or you'll miss it. He's not saying here that I don't care whether you're a sinner or not, I'm going to forgive you. Not what he's saying. Matter of fact, he goes on to say this, he will by no means clear the guilty. But if a person is striving and trying and wanting to be better and to do better and to keep the commandments and just can't do it, guess what? God has mercy. God has mercy. We're not talking about the person that says, oh, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to go do this. He's a merciful God. That's not what mercy is. Mercy is that end of the track where you do everything you possibly can. And you just can't get it done. That's why Jesus was sent to this earth. Isn't that right? Not so we could relax and say, Okay, Lord, you've got it now. Forgive me of all my sins. And if I fall, well, so I know you, you'll forgive me anyway. No, as a matter of fact, mercy is dispensed when we reach our limit and we can't do it any further. We, can't, we just can't handle it. Okay? He has plenty of mercy. We know that. Paul wrote that God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2 at verse 4. Psalms 103 at verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He's got plenty of it. He just has all the mercy. He's got all you need. He's got it. And it says His mercy is in the heavens in Psalms 36 at verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches under the clouds. There's no lack of it. You, there's plenty available. His mercy is inexhaustible. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever. It's not going to run out. Don't worry. When the time comes when you can't go any further, and you, you just cannot stand yourself being in sin any longer and you know that you need forgiveness, don't worry. 
He has mercy if you reach that point where you can't go any further without Him. He has mercy. I'm impressed. Psalms 136 has 26 verses in it. And at the end of every verse, His mercy endures forever. Isn't that wonderful? And we, the, the psalm was on the, on the screen for us earlier. Psalms 23 at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, I need mercy because I'm going to run into a brick wall probably often. I'm going to hit... You know, that, that's what people say when they're in an athletic contest. You go as far as you can and you hit the wall. A runner. They go as hard and as fast as they can and all of a sudden, bang. They cannot go one step further. Well, God intends, we know He shows mercy, but God intends that I do the same thing. Now there, there's where I want you to follow the thread. There's the thread I want you to pick up. The, uh, the, the text, let me, let me just read a text in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It says, he, he, uh, he spoke a parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this publican, this guy right here beside me. I'm not like him. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He said, I never run into that wall. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven and smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man knew that he had limits. And he knew what his limits were. He smote upon his breast. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. This man... This publican ran out of resources. He didn't have anything else. He couldn't get over the hump. He was there and he need, he just fell down and said, I, Lord, I just can't do it. Have you ever reached that point in your life? That you're struggling with some problem that you have, a sin that keeps visiting you, and you just reach the point where you say, Lord, I just I can't. I need help. I need help. Can you help me? Will you help me? Well, naturally he would. On another occasion, a man that was unable to defend himself fell among thieves. You know who I'm talking about? The, the, uh, the uh, man who, who uh, went down from Jerusalem, but just said he was a certain man, must have been a Jew. He went down from Jerusalem in uh, Luke chapter 10 and uh, fell among thieves. They stripped his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Okay. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest didn't pay any attention to him. The priest did not have compassion on this man who had hit the wall. This man could not help himself. The thieves got him, beat him, stripped him, threw him off the side of the road. And what do you do? 
priest looked at him and said, well, I've got other business to take care of. And off he went. His heart didn't reach out to him. Didn't reach out to him. Likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him in his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Which now of these three, thank you, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He said, He that showed mercy unto him. Now, be careful. I want you to be careful with this text. Because what this good Samaritan did is very important for your concept of mercy. Very important. Other texts indicate the same thing, that, that the child of God, the person who believes in Jesus Christ, should be merciful. Which means, basically, when we find someone who has hit the wall and can't go further, and we can help them, then that's what we need to be doing, right? I think that's right. Luke 6, verse 35 and 36 says, Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing. Again, your reward shall be great. You shall be the children of the highest. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be you therefore merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. He's saying, be you merciful. So we have that responsibility and that opportunity, basically, to be merciful. The... Um, there's another illustration, again, of this idea of mercifulness. And just keep that one in mind now, the Good Samaritan. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 27. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Okay. This guy was in debt to this man. The man was the master. For as much as he had not to pay, the man, the man had hit the wall. He didn't have anything left. He couldn't pay. He couldn't pay his bill. He couldn't pay his debts. And guess what's going to happen? He said he was commanded He was commanded him to be sold. Sell him. Put him in an indentured service. And his wife and children and all that he had and let the payment be made. And the servant fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the Lord, that servant, was moved with compassion and loosed him, forgave him his debt. He had mercy because this man couldn't go one step further without a lending hand, right? Well, what happened? Well, this guy, he had servants of his own. So he was kind of in the order, pecking order, if you want to call it that. He was a, a tier lower than his master, so he had servants of his own. And it said, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence, very little amount. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, I pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. He would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. It's sort of like God paid the big debt, but I won't pay the little debt. That's what this man had, was going on with him. Okay, the fellow servant saw that and they reported it back and the man was in trouble with his master. 
But you see the point. The point is, this man reached the point of desperation with, let's say, with his master. Couldn't pay. The, the master had mercy. But he had no mercy himself. Therefore, it says, in verse Matthew chapter 7, at verse 12, says, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the Bible clearly teaches that we should do the same thing that we would expect others to do for us. Hit the wall, come to the point where we can't go any further, expect God to help us. He does, doesn't he? Expect someone else to have compassion if we're talking about our neighbors. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, he, show you, he showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of us? To love mercy. Not just when we have it toward ourselves, but when we have it toward others. Matthew 5, verse 7, in the Beatitude, you know, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you want it, you'd have to give it. Right? Right. Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That means tender feelings of mercies. We're merciful because our God is merciful to us. Romans 12 verse 1 I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Go thou and do likewise, basically, is what he's saying. Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore it it, in all things it behooved him to be made, made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So Jesus, being our exemplar, he's the one that gives us the example of how to live. We should be merciful. Because James 5 verse 11 says, The Lord is very pitiful and full of mercy. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, renewing of the, of the Holy Spirit. So, okay. Let's pick up our thread. We know God is merciful. We know that. He sent His Son to rescue us from this fallen earth. We know that Jesus is merciful. People brought to Him all sorts of people in a terrible ragged condition and he reached out because he had compassion he even was compassionate toward people that are hungry that's what the Bible says people followed him while he was teaching and he found 4,000 of them and his disciples said send them away we don't have enough money to feed them and Jesus looked on them and had compassion and so he turned the few loaves and fishes into many so that people could eat because they had reached the point where they needed help, his help, and he gave it to them. The first consideration is to see how God views this problem that we have in terms of mercy. The situation we find in ourselves in today in our society is that we're looking around and we're seeing people everywhere that seem to be in need of what we can give them. The homeless, for one thing. You can't drive down the street without seeing a homeless camp. And so the, the Christian, obviously, we're going to have some feelings. 
should. God's merciful to us. We see people in desperate situations where they, they can't help themselves. And so we begin to think, well, what, what can we do? Every believer in Jesus is facing the reality that there are people who are in dire straits around us. There are people that way. From medical disabilities to addiction to struggles in order to obtain work. Not only in this country, but also all around the world it happens. So the point is, here's our thread, the point is, how do we react to the needs of someone who's hit the end of their string and can't help themselves any further? So that's, a, that's an issue though, isn't it? Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 says, Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regards not the person nor takes reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love you therefore the stranger. You are strangers in the land of Egypt. So he's talking about mercy, the sort of mercy he extended. The scriptures inform us that there will always be poor among us. That, that's, that's the situation we're in right now. Deuteronomy 15 verse 11 says, The poor shall never, ex- shall never cease out of the land. And Jesus himself said, when he was asked about this question, Matthew 26 verse 11, he said, You have the poor always with you. Therefore, we have to face this issue sometime. We have to come face to face with it and say, Okay, how do I ex- exercise mercy toward the poor that we have with us always. How do we do that? So we, we should take measure of ourselves and consider how we're going to react to those needs. Some instructions are given us. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 says, What does it profit, brethren? Though a man say have faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked, destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you don't give them the things that they that are needful to the body, what does it profit you? Okay. So that means you can't be hard-hearted. You can't say, well, here my brother's hungry. He doesn't have anything to eat. And I've got plenty to eat. I'll tell him, well, hope, hope things work out for you, okay. Cold, naked, doesn't have a coat. And you've got two, three, four, whatever it may be. We usually have multiples of whatever we've got. Here, here are the brothers shivering in the cold. Hope you find a warm spot to sleep tonight. Okay? So the, the point is, the Christian cannot have that hard-heartedness toward the poor. And they're always going to be with us. We're never going to reach a point in this country or any other country whether there is not poor. That's what the Bible says, and I believe the Bible. You have the poor with you always. They'll never cease from the land. Deuteronomy 26, 11, Matthew 26, 11. Always going to be here. Okay. James 1, 27 tells me, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, keep himself untainted from the world, unspotted from the world. Galatians 6.10, listen to these texts now, they're important. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. 
as we therefore have opportunity. The first thing we must do in order to maintain a compassionate heart is to recognize when we're faced with someone who needs our mercy and compassion that we look upon it as an opportunity and not a responsibility. What's the thread? This is not something God says, oh, you must do it or you're going to go to hell. That's not what... That's not what this is. It's an opportunity. Opportunity for what? For your heart to stay soft. For you to stay compassionate. For you you to react however you can react to alleviate the situation. Remember, we're not talking about people that simply do not want to help themselves. We're talking about people that do it all they can and hit the wall. There's nothing in the scriptures that talk about the fact that we should support the indolent and the lazy and what we would call the deadbeat. So that makes a problem for us because we have to be very careful and not harden our heart and say everybody that has a need is there because they, they, they want to be there and they want, they want something that you have that they don't have. We can't reach that point in our lives. Our hearts will, our hearts will get hard. We'll get stiff-necked and hard-hearted. The first thing we do is, then is we, we analyze our situation, our personal situation. Two things are important for us when we look at someone who has a need. Two things are important. One is, do I have the ability, do I have the resources to alleviate that need? Ability. Do I have the resources? Now, the Good Samaritan. Let's talk about the Good Samaritan. He had the resources. He had the ability to help this man. Well, so did the priest and the Levite, as far as we know. But the Good Samaritan stopped because he had the wherewithal. He was able to reach the man. He, he wasn't having any problem with dealing with a naked man and, and covering him up and binding his swords and so forth and his wounds. And he, he took him, he had the, he had the ability to transport him to an inn, so he had the ability to help this guy, which he did. He had the resources. Sometimes we don't have the resources when we would like to be able to do more, we just don't have the resources. We, we can't alleviate the situation. Okay, First Peter chapter 4, verse 11. I'm speaking where the Bible speaks. I'm not giving you personal judgment and opinion. I'm telling you what the Bible says. If you don't have the ability, you don't have the opportunity. That's all it is. You can't do it if you don't have the resources. You can't do it. You just can't do it. And you don't need to feel guilty that you can't. But only you and God know what you have. I don't know what you have. And if you walk by somebody that has a need and I look and see it and I think, well, you know, that guy should have given some money. I don't know how much money you have. I don't know whether you've got the resources, the ability. God knows what you have. And you know what you have. But I don't. That's the point. God tells us in His Scriptures that we do what we do according to our ability. First Peter 4, verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability God gave him. Got it? If you minister, 
You do it as of the ability God gave you. What you're doing, basically, is you're working for Him. Whatever you give a person, it's not you, it's Him giving it. <laughs> that's, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? When God feeds the poor, He feeds them through you. Okay, it's Him doing it, not you, so don't take any credit. He gave you what you've got to give to somebody else. So anyway, Acts 11, verse 29. There was a famine all over the area of Judea. There was a famine coming in the Roman Emperor, basically. And so the brethren decided there are folks that are in Jerusalem that are probably in worse shape than we are. And so they decided to send relief to them, which they did. And the apostles went around through the churches and collected the money and took different individuals, representatives from the different churches to make sure. And they took a lot of money. They took a lot of money down to help. But notice what it says in Acts 11, verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability. Got it? Okay. They didn't give beyond their ability. If they didn't have it, they couldn't give it. So the first thing you look at is, do I have the resources necessary? Do I have the resources to build somebody a house? A big house and a big apartment to put everybody in it? If I don't have the resources, I don't have, I don't have the opportunity. I, I have to have the resources to do what I can do. The second point you have to keep in mind is that as you have opportunity, let you do good unto all men, especially household faith. The second point is you have to have the capability. Not just the ability, you have to have the capability. Now, let's look back at the man, the Good Samaritan. That's why I want you to keep the thread going. The Good Samaritan came along. He did not take this man home with him. He did not have the capability of taking care of him at home. His ability was to help what he could, and he did. But he didn't pick the man up, put him on his donkey or whatever, and take him to his house, take care of him. He apparently did not have that capability for one reason or another. I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you what. We can look at some that did not have the capability and therefore they, they couldn't respond to what they needed or what they tried to respond to. For instance, in Mark chapter 9, verse 28 and 29, I'm giving you passages now that fortify what I'm saying. There was a, there was a, a man who came to Jesus with his child and the child was uh, possessed by a demon and he was throwing himself out in the fire and out of the fire and so forth. Anyway, he, they asked the, the apostles to heal the man and to cast the man out of out of the uh, cast the demon out of the boy and the the disciples or the apostles could not do it they could not do it and here the text says when he was come into the house his disciples asked him privately why couldn't we cast him out Jesus cast him out and they said why couldn't we cast him out you know why they did not have the capability to do it didn't have the capability. He said unto them, this kind comes forth by, by nothing but prayer and fasting. That's the only way to get him out. They didn't, have, they didn't have the capability to get that demon out of that boy. But Jesus did. Part of what it was, Jesus said in another text, it was because you didn't have enough faith. So they were, 
it wasn't just a physical issue, it was a mental and emotional, psychological issue that they could they just couldn't do it. So sometimes we don't have the capability to do it. Peter and John in Acts chapter four, verse or Acts chapter three, verse four through six, ran into a man that was crippled outside the uh, the temple at the hour of prayer. And it says they Peter fastening his eyes on him, this man asked for an alms, he wanted some money. And he said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Peter did not have the ability to give him anything. Didn't have any. Okay. The opportunity passed him by. He didn't have it. But he said, Whatever I have, I'll give you. So he told the man, Get up, stand on his feet, and walk. And he did. He took up his bed and he walked. And obviously, the man probably went back to work somewhere and supported himself and didn't have to beg anymore. But Peter and John did what they could. They did not have the ability, but they had the capability because they they healed the man. Now, let's let's look back at Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me some meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Now, he's not talking about stranger taking me in in your home. He's talking about I'm a stranger and you didn't include me. Society pushed them out. He said, you can, you can include me. He said, I, I was a stranger you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came into me. And then they asked, when did we see this? He said, when you saw those little children that believe on me. So he's talking about his disciples. Those, those that they were doing that for those who were followers of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes this comes up because people ask you the question, why don't you go to the prison and visit a prisoner? Why don't you go visit a criminal? Well, he's not talking about going and visiting criminals. He's talking about going and visiting a believer in Jesus Christ, one of these little ones that somehow got thrown in jail without their responsibility probably. He's not talking about just going out and seeing if you can rustle up some way to do something good. Remember, the idea is that you, as you have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Whatever we do, though, when we exercise, okay, now we're getting down to it. Whatever you have, your ability, and whatever your capability is, I want to make another distinction. Here's a person that needs a bowl of soup. Okay. I can't cook. Oh, I could I have boil water and so forth. <clears throat> I can't cook. But I have a pocket full of carrots and peas and potatoes and some meat. So my ability is I can provide some of the source material, but I can't cook it. You see the difference? Sometimes there are things I just can't do personally to help anybody. I just can't. I can't do it. Sometimes I go beyond my abilities and I suffer the consequences because I just don't have the capability of doing some things when other people are hurting. For years and years, people expected me as a preacher to go to a hospital and visit the sick. Every time I went, I passed out. I mean, literally passed out. It must have been the smell. I don't know. 
that time. When I was a small child, I had a bad accident and had a bad experience in the hospital. But I was expected to go to the hospital and visit the ill. Well, I'd go into the room, pass out. And I had to lay, I had to prop myself against a wall to keep from falling on the floor. Well, I was no good to people like that. That didn't do them any good for me to be there, sicker than they were. So, you, you see the point? We have to keep in mind what we can do and we have to make sure that we remember the limits of our involvement in, in their lives too. So when we're trying to help someone do something, whatever we give to those in need must be given with no strings attached. If I'm going to take of my resources and give them to someone else because I think they have hit the wall and they've done all they can and can't do anymore and they need my help, then at that point, I, it has to be no strings attached. I can't be looking for a caveat. If I do this, you must do that. Close my eyes and ears and say, okay, you got it, it's yours. I hope it helps. Okay. First Thessalonians 4, verse 11. We can't get involved in someone's life when we decide that we want to be merciful and when we have an opportunity. Okay? I cannot, therefore, try to regulate your life simply because I want to help you when you can't get any further on your own. First Thessalonians 4, verse 11 says, Study to be quiet and do your own business. That means I'm not doing your business. And if I give you something, I should not be lending it to you. That's not mercy. If I can't afford to give it to you, I can't give it to you. I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability. But if I do, then I'm not lending it and saying, well, when, when can you pay this back? When can you give me back what I gave you? That's not mercy. And I, when I do it, I have to do it cheerfully. You remember the statement in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, Ananias and Sapphira? They, they came to, to give because people were using that money to feed folks that were in, in the city of Jerusalem. They were hearing the gospel being preached and they were taking up money so everybody could eat. And so Ananias and Sapphira came and they, they put some money in. And they, they lied about it. They, they wanted to make an impression. But the, the point is that I want to make is Acts chapter 5, verse 4, Peter said, While it remained, wasn't it yours? He said, And after it was sold, wasn't it in your own power? So they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to give it. They didn't have to be guilted into giving it. I know that's a tendency that, that people have. If you have it, I want it. And if you've got more than I have, then you should feel guilty if you don't give it to me. That's, that has nothing to do with mercy, does it? Mercy is when you've done everything you can do and you can't go any further. You need a coat and you can't get one and you're cold. That's as far as you can go. I've got two. I'm going to give you one. And I'm not going to ask you for it back. Okay? And I'm going to be cheerful about it. And I'm going to shut my eyes, close my eyes, and shut my eyes. I don't. If you take that coat and give it away, that's your business. 
But my heart of compassion says I need to help you because you can't do any better than you've done so far. God does not expect his people to try to control the poor. And that's the problem we have with the, with the um, homeless folks. When we give them money, we say, well, if, if we're going to give you money, we want to make sure you don't spend it on alcohol, that you don't spend it on drugs, that you don't do this. Well, what we have to do as Christians is look at it carefully and say, what can I do? If I've got the resources, what can I do with my resources that will be the most help to someone who can't help themselves, who's tried the best they can and can't do anymore. They've hit the wall. What can I do? And then what I do is I shut my eyes and close my ears and say, it's yours. And don't feel like you have to repay it. Right? Okay. And the uh, statement is made in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 9. As it is written, when you do this, when you help someone that you know that is desperate and in need, he has dispersed his broad, his broad and he has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. He said that after they had raised a contribution themselves and they were the ones that gave. It says he did it. God did it. Second Corinthians 8 verse 13 says, I mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened, which means, obviously... That when we're talking about showing mercy, we show mercy to those who go as far as they can, can't go any further. Not those who go as far as they can, don't want to go any further. Go as far as they can, can't go any further. Okay, at that point, he said, I don't mean that you be burdened, that others be eased. So he's not asking us to give to someone who doesn't want to work. Paul said it himself in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, if any won't work, neither let him eat. So there's responsibility. So you, you've got to use your good sense, common sense along the side. You know, I've gone long far enough. The text we're talking about is mercy, how you feel and how you can use your resources, ability, and your capability. Got to say another thing. Sometimes the text says that we visit the fatherless and widows. The text does not say that we take on the fatherless and widows to raise them and guide them the way we want them to go. Right? That's not what the, what the Good Samaritan did. He didn't get involved in this man's life. He didn't decide he's going to govern him and guide him. He gave him what he could in order for this man to make sure that he got his health and he told the innkeeper, said, whatever he needs more, I'll help you. But he didn't take the man in to raise him as his own and to take care of him and assume all of his, all of his responsibilities. There's some, there's some issues here that we have to keep in mind. And still keep a heart that's soft to the needs of those who cannot and are desperate and cannot go further than they can on their own. Let's stand and, and uh, sing our song of invitation.